We often hear stories of people seeing ghosts. But what happens when the ghost sees you? And then we finish off Close Encounters of a Canine Kind Week with one more showdown between a dog and an alien. When a hiker and his seven-year-old golden retriever are up in the mountains of Washington, they're just expecting to enjoy the beauty of nature. Little did they know they were about to be thrust into a deadly battle between a loyal dog and an alien that defied the laws of physics. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys have some cool plans for the weekend. I'm going to apologize in advance. I am recording this episode apparently during rush hour in my neighborhood. Every single car that can possibly drive by will drive by at least twice while I'm trying to record this episode. But someone who's always welcome to make a bunch of noise while I'm recording, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone give it up for Thomas the Dink Engine. Woohoo! Yeah! Woohoo! Come on in. Chug your way on in to Dead Rabbit Command. Thomas the Dink Engine, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. It really does help the show grow. Thomas the Dink Engine, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone climb on board this magical floating vehicle and take us all the way out to Florida. The reason why we're in Florida, let's take a look at this story. It's actually very short, but it's super interesting. I find I find stories where we have that Venn diagram of the world of the paranormal and the world of just generalized high strangeness combining. And I guess it's kind of the same thing, but let me be more specific. Ghosts and time rifts. That type of thing, right? Ghosts and portals to another world. Technically, you could say ghosts. I mean, there are portal to the other world, the underworld. But no, I let's take a look at this story. And again, it's like, it's so short. It's almost like a couple sentences, but I think we can extrapolate some stuff out of this. Plus the second half of the episode's nuts and it's really long and I want to give that room to breathe. So this is a good combination. The reason why we're in Florida is there's a city called Apopka. And in Apopka, there's a place known as the Orange Blossom Trail. And the story is thus. If you're driving down Orange Blossom Trail, sometimes if you're driving down Orange Blossom Trail late at night, you'll see a Native American warrior cross the street. But while he's crossing the street, he looks at you. Like, <laughs> what? Is that it? Wow. Are you trying to set a record for world's shortest ghost story? No. Well, no. No, 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 no. The thing is, let me explain it a little bit more. Let me use more words to tell the same story. He doesn't just cross the street. He's not like looking at you as he's crossing the street. He crosses the street and then looks at you. (laughs) 
the same thing. Think about it this way. If I was crossing the street, staring, looking to see if cars were coming that way so I don't get hit, you go, oh, he was looking the whole time. But imagine if I'm walking across the street, I don't look, I never look while I'm crossing the street, I'm like, ah. The, but the point is, is like, if I'm crossing the street and then I turn and look, something's caught my attention. As opposed to if I was constantly looking across the street. So the way I read this story, this three-sentence story that I'm now going to talk about for 15 minutes, no, it's not going to be that long. The way I saw this story was that it's possible that we have different types of ghosts. One of the types of ghosts is a recording of an event. And these are what are considered non-sentient ghosts. This isn't actually somebody's spirit. It's for whatever reason... Some some event happened. It could be a mineral event like underneath the earth that recorded things. This is what's known as the stone tape theory. Some sort of magnetic geological formation that's recorded and an event is playing over and over again. They're non-sentient. You can't go up and talk to these types of spirits. If you go to some old-timey castle in England and you see Marie Antoinette being dragged down the hallway, go, no, no, not my head. Not my head. That's not actually Marie Antoinette's ghost. That's a recording of the terror that she was feeling as she was being led to the chopping block. Then there are sentient ghosts or sentient spirits. And these are the ones that you can actually interact with. These are the ones you wake up in the middle of the night because you need to get a midnight snack. You walk into your kitchen and there is... A little boy crouched down in the darkest corner of your kitchen. He goes, help me. And then vanishes. That could just be a recording. That could just be, that could just be the reason why you're in heaven. And they're like, hey, how'd you die? And you're like, massive heart attack. Massive heart attack. A little boy popped up in the middle of the kitchen. Or in the darkest corner. The creepiest part. Probably should have installed a nightlight over there. But let's imagine you walk into your kitchen and you are getting a midnight snack and there's a little boy crouched in the corner. and He goes, help me. And you go, how can I help you? And he's like, oh, no one ever asked me that question before. I don't even know how to answer. He's like sitting there and he's like, hmm, how could you help me? Do you think you could give me some of your daughter's toys and I could play with them in the kitchen? <laughs> he's being super noisy. He's all crashing the dolls together. He's like, bang, 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 you die. And you're like, oh man, why did I give that ghost kid all those toys? Oh yeah, because he's terrifying and I don't want to die in my sleep. I don't want him to crawl up my nostrils and possess me. Sometimes ghosts can be recordings. And the, the interesting thing is you don't really know which ones are which until you interact with them or try to interact with them. You don't know. But the ones that you can do generally like EVPs with, where you're recording it, those would be interactive spirits. Sentient spirits. This ghost, I think, is neither. Yet it acts like both. I've never investigated this one personally. These are all just hunches. But it crosses the street in the exact same location every single time, which would make it seem like a recording of a, a, a non-sentient ghost, a stone tape ghost. It crosses the street in the same place. It turns and looks each time, which would make you think it was a stone tape ghost. What I think it is, is, and this is where I have nothing to back this up on, just call it paranormal researcher hunch, is that it's in a time loop. 
And the difference between that is, is that at one point, this is what I imagine happened. I feel like we've covered something like this similar before on the podcast, but I could never find it. I've been looking for it the past couple of days trying to find it. What I imagine is, let's go back in time. Let's go back to 1413 in Florida. And there's a Native American warrior crossing this field. There's no road. He's just crossing a field. He's hunting a deer hunting deer through Florida or I don't know, alligator, whatever they had down there. He's hunting and he, something, see, this is the difference. If he was just looking the entire time, then he's just looking the entire time, but something catches his eye. He's crossing this field. Something catches his eye and he turns and he looks and he sees a Honda Civic sitting in the middle of the field. He continues on his journey. And this time loop, he's basically seeing us in the future. Remember, this ghost story is repeated multiple times. It's not like he's trapped in a time loop. It's not like he's like, oh, if only I could kill that deer. But I just keep seeing all these vehicles from an era that I don't even, I don't even know what a car looks like. I don't know that this is a Tesla and that's a Ford. But... I'm, I I just have this weird feeling again. To be honest, the story could be made up. It could be an urban legend. But if this ghost, it's not a ghost, if this traveler is actually stuck in a time loop, but yet in our timeline, he walked across, something caught his eye, he looked, he saw a vehicle, Chevy, two guys on a motorcycle, guy riding a horse, right? Well, he probably, he probably would have been like, yeah, hey, I know what that is. Actually, not in 1413. They didn't have horses in America. But he would turn and he would look. He would see something. He would go on his way. And that's the main timeline we're in. And yet there's still enough. Every time we see him, it's replaying him seeing us. And each time he's seeing a different vehicle and a different group of people in said vehicle. Yet in the main timeline, he still, it collapses. So he only sees one or he only remembers one incident, I guess I should say. He's seeing it each time. Each time he looks and sees you in the vehicle, he sees it. But the timeline collapses, the wave closes or crashes, be a better term. The wave crashes when he continues on his journey. He'll go back to his tribe and say, hey, I was walking across this field. I saw this four-door, I saw this four-door sporty electric car, newest truck by Chevy. He's all given the sales pitch. <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? Where's that deer you're supposed to kill? Oh, an alligator ate it. It collapses. He only remembers one. <laughs> Jason, what are you talking about? Wait a second. You just read four sentences on Shadowlands.net. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think that's it. Do I have anything to back it up? No. But I, again, I think I love stories where you have ghosts. And you're like, Jason, yeah, the stories are cool too. But this story is not one of them. You read four sentences and extrapolated all this stuff. I just have a feeling. Which is the thing you always want every scientist to say, right? Every researcher. They're like, can you cite your evidence? You're like, well, I could, but... I just have a feeling. And everyone's like, you know what? We'll accept that. He, he has a feeling. That's all I'll need. I don't know. I find it fascinating. If you live in Napuka, check it out. You Here's actually be super interesting. What if you drove really fast? <laughs> don't take this advice. 
You're like getting pulled over by the cops. They're like, uh, why were you going 100 miles an hour? Well, Dead Rabbit Radio told me to drive super fast down this road late at night. What if when you see the warrior crossing the road, you gun it? Maybe you could actually drive into the past. I mean, most likely you would drive into a fence or drive into a tree lining the road. But what if you could go back into... 1413 is a little too far back for my taste. What if you could go back to, say, 1770? You're driving around in your Ford pickup truck now and you, like, drive to Philadelphia. And you're like, Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin, before you crack that bell, I'm going to tell you all about the future of America. And then I'm all telling him all this stuff. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm pretty sure, good man, that I do not crack this Liberty Bell. I don't know where you got that part of history. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened. And then you get, elect- <laughs> you get electrocuted when you tie a, a key to a kite. He's like, that would, that would kill me. What are you talking about? Is this what you guys are told? I said, yes. A fascinating story. Maybe involves time travel. Maybe it's just a ghost. And if you live in the area, maybe find out for me. Maybe travel into the past and put flyers for Dead Rabbit Radio all around the colonies. And that would be awesome. You're like, hear ye, hear ye. Dead Rabbit Radio, have a big bell. You're ringing in people's ears as they're trying to sleep. Listen to this podcast. They're like, ah. That would be great. That would be pretty funny if there was a wood carving of you doing that. Thomas the Dank Engine, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind at Popka. Take us all the way out to Washington. We're headed up to Washington. Specifically, we're headed to Snoqualmie Pass, Washington. It's October 1996. And it's three in the afternoon. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Well, I guess it's October 1996 is pretty cold. But still. It's beautiful, and the sun exists. The sun is shining down on this forest, and we're going to meet a man named Dr. Jonathan Reed. He's a psychologist from Seattle, and we're also going to meet his loyal puppy, Susie, a seven-year-old golden retriever. We're like petting. We, we manifest long enough to pet Susie a bit. Actually, I do want to take a little bit of time here to say this. This story's pretty gross. This story is pretty gross. And if you love dogs or have a dog or have ever petted a dog, strap in or shut the podcast off. Because the first episode of Close Encounters of the Canine Kind Week, we covered a very neutral encounter between dogs and aliens. And the second one, we covered the story of two dogs that brutally ripped an 18-inch man into pieces. He was a little alien. He wasn't a human. But still, he probably shouldn't do that, dogs. So it was a draw the first episode. Uh, The dogs won the second episode. Well, in this third installment of Close Encounters of the Canine Kind, dog lovers beware. You're still petting Susie. You're like holding on to her. You're like, Jason, just don't tell the story. And it never happened. Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Reed, and his seven-year-old golden retriever, Susie, are hiking around this area. They're about an hour and a half out from their car. It's a beautiful day, walking around, watching little blue jays land on trees and squirrels, going like, yeah, and they're eating nuts. 
and it's saving some for later. They're like, oh, yeah, winter's coming. I shouldn't eat all my nuts. Oh, and he has a big stomach ache. He's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and let my stomach rest for a couple months. I'll be fine. When all of a sudden Susie ran ahead. Dogs are going to do that, right? He didn't have it on leash. You don't take a dog on a leash in the middle of the woods. And Susie's just kind of like running around and stuff like that. But this time Susie actually like runs into the forest. Off the trail now into the forest. And Jonathan's like, uh, you know, Susie will be back. That's what dogs do. They probably smelled a squirrel. They probably smelled a fat squirrel who can't run because he ate too many nuts. Susie will be back soon. But when Jonathan starts to hear his dog just frantically barking, and then yelping, he realizes something's wrong. He realizes it sounds like there's a man in his 40s imitating a golden retriever in the woods. That's not what a dog, that's not what a dog sounds like. Something must be terribly wrong with Susie. And Jonathan's first instinct was wildlife, which is what you would expect in the woods. You'd think. Maybe she smelled a bear. Maybe she stepped on a porcupine. Could be all sorts of dangers out here. And Jonathan's fearing the worst. I don't think he's so much worried about a dog stepping on a porcupine. He's looking for a weapon as he's running through the woods towards the sound of the barking, and he sees this large tree branch on the ground. And he picks it up and he's like, ah, the mighty club. Neanderthals use this to crack open the skulls of their prey. And I too shall use it to defend Susie. No matter what. I don't think he actually gave that monologue. He stops and he poses with the stick. He's like, stick, branch, weapon of all mankind. The first weapon we've ever used. He picked it up and he started running. He's continuing to run and he estimates that from the trail to the sound of the barking, it's about 150 yards. So I imagine that he's also out of breath. That's what, like a football field and a half? He's like, oh, he's all stepping on porcupines the whole way. Ah, ah, ah. But he kept going. He's got to save his dog. He runs over and he sees Susie standing in kind of like a bit of a clearing. And she is continuing to position her body around like she's trying to find something. And she's barking in anger, yelping in fear, and gnashing her teeth. Trying to bite something. And he's watching Susie do this. He can't really see what the threat is, but that's when he realizes it's everywhere at once. He's watching a figure move around Susie so fast it looks like the air itself is being disturbed around it. It's like even more faint than a blur. He can almost just see the trails of the motion of where it once was. It's whipping circles around the dog. He's watching this play out, and that's what Susie... Susie's trying to get a bite of this thing. And this thing's constantly moving away from Susie's jaws. But at the same time, Jonathan realizes that this, whatever this is, could just leave. Could just leave. The fact it's trying to outmaneuver Susie, he realizes that whatever is moving so quickly, it's like he can see the air being disturbed around it. It's, it's trying to also get his dog. The thing could just leave. It's obviously fast enough, right? 
But as Susie is trying to get a bite, this blur is moving away from her mouth to almost try to get a a good strike in itself. And he's watching this play out. And it's not long before, almost in an instant, this happens instantaneously, Susie is able to reach out and lock her jaws onto this creature's forearm. But the reason why Susie was able to strike a blow was because this creature had stopped because it was now ready to attack as well. It could move, it could evade, but if it wanted to take down Susie, it had to come to a complete stop. And that's what Jonathan is seeing going on right here. He said Susie grabbed a hold of this thing's forearm. And he gets a better view of it later on in the story, but I'm going to give you the description of it now just so you can kind of picture what's about to happen. Um, He describes it when he's able to get a closer view of it. We'll get to that in a second, but... He didn't take all this detail in right now. (laughs) Things are happening way too quick for him to be able to take in all this detail. But he describes this as a four-foot-tall humanoid. The term he ended up using as he became more comfortable with the UFO community, at first he was just saying it was like this four-foot-tall humanoid with bulging eyes, like these big bulging eyes that were a... not like a pitch black, like you would traditionally... Have, picture a gray alien's eyes. It was more of a lighter eye. These big, bulging, light-colored eyes. He uses the term nowadays, he said it looked like a reptilian-gray hybrid. But at the time, he wasn't huge in the UFO community when he first saw this. So those he probably knew what a gray alien was just from because X-Files was really big at the time, but Nowadays, when they talk about the story, they say it was a reptilian-gray hybrid. But just so you can picture this, it's a four-foot-tall reptilian-gray hybrid. Bulging eyes, but a kind of a lighter color, not that pitch black. It was also wearing a black jumpsuit that covered it from feet to neck. Everything else was basically wearing this black jumpsuit, and it was just one piece with no seams in it. Again, he can't see the seams from where he's at as his dog is locked in Mortal Kombat with this alien. He's like, that's so bizarre. I don't see any stitching on that suit. But this is, I wanted you to be able to picture this. So Susie has a hold of this alien's forearm, and the alien... Sounded like the dropship was coming for me. Aliens have finally figured out where I broadcast this podcast from. Susie had the alien by the forearm. The alien, at the same time, reached out and grabbed Susie's snout. In a single motion, the alien began to pry off Susie's jaws from his arm. And then it turned and looked directly at Jonathan, who's standing there with that huge tree branch, just watching this, watching this creature attack his dog, attack his loyal companion. 
And the alien looked at Jonathan with what Jonathan described as murderous eyes, right? He saw the human emotion, saw the hate and the anger in this creature's eyes. This alien has now grabbed a hold of the top of Susie's jaw, the the snout, and begins to pull her head back. But really, the lower jaw is still underneath his forearm. It bit onto the alien's arm, and now he's pulling the top of her snout back. He frees his arm, and then completely tears off the top of Susie's skull. In an instant, just removes the top jaw, the eyes, the brain and shreds it off of Susie's body. Jonathan's stunned and horrified. He's staring at Susie's body, sands the top of her head, right? He's just watched as Susie's body kind of take a step or two, and then collapse in a heap. What happens then... It's something that Jonathan's looking at the remains of his dog and the gore involved in such a violent act. He can still see the tongue. He can still see the lower jaw. Everything else is intact. The top of its head has been removed. And while he's taking, I mean, such an amazing level of violence. I mean, I guess the last episode in this series, we had two aliens rip apart a little man. But they had no connection to the little man. (laughs) The little man probably had a family. People may have been watching from the bushes crying. But Jonathan's looking at his loyal dog, his loyal dog's corpse at this point, laying on the ground. And through his sorrow and his rage and his terror, he can't even begin to comprehend what's about to happen next. He said what it looked like was he's looking at Susie's corpse he's looking at the body of Susie he said it began to crumple in on itself he said it was almost as if somewhere unseen within her body was a black hole because she began to compress and crumple and contort and crush into a Singular point. And he's watching this body go. This whole. I mean, golden retrievers are big dogs. <laughs> Even if it was a chihuahua, it would be pretty impressive. It would be pretty freaky. But to watch this dog basically melt into a singular point. And melt's not even the right word. Like, getting sucked into a black hole is probably the best descriptor for it. It just got sucked in, and then all that was left on the forest floor was a small pile of white ash. How could you even comprehend what you just saw? Like, how shocking would that be? It's bad enough your dog got its head ripped off. In such a gory fashion, too, right? If someone chopped your dog's head off, that would be... It would... That would probably ruin your day, right? That would be horrible. But if someone ripped its head off 
You're like, Jason, please quit talking about killing dogs. We know you've had bad experience with dogs in the past. I'm not pro-killing dog, by the way. I'm not pro-killing dog in any in any way, shape, or form. No, I'm not pro-killing dogs. I'm just saying that there are... If you came out in your backyard... <laughs> Never mind, okay, I'll just... We'll start listing ways that you can find your dogs dead. I love dogs. I do. I'm not... I don't want to make it sound like I'm some sort of maniac. I was like, I can't wait to tell this story. Anyways... Um, let's move past the dead dog. It would be shocking. That's what I was going to say. Jonathan, finally, his rage overcomes his shock. And he begins charging this alien. Tree branch firmly in hand. He begins charging the alien, and he sees that the alien kind of takes a step back. And he figures, it's going to attack me. Whatever happens next, I'm doing it in self-defense. He's running towards this little guy, four foot tall dog murderer, and he brings that tree branch down on his head so hard, splits its skull right open. And he said, he goes, I thought it was going to attack me. It took a step back when I was running towards it and I thought it was going to attack me. Maybe it was going to start running around in front of me and also get behind me find my weakness, rip me to pieces. I didn't know. He goes, I figured it was going to kill me too. It already killed my dog. I had to hit this thing as hard as I could to save my own life. And it's that's totally possible, right? If this thing had started moving again, there's no way Jonathan could have gotten it to it. And he saw what happened the last time. Two living things, an alien and a creature from Earth, his dog Susie went toe-to-toe. So he came in and ferociously smashed this creature's head open. And it is so violent. The way he describes this story, the way he describes these wounds, it's interesting. Again, we don't see this level of violence typically in alien stories. He goes, I hit it so hard, I cracked its skull open. Blood begins spurting out. I can see brain matter. This creature falls to the ground. And there's just blood soaking the soil of the forest. Pieces of flesh still stuck to shattered skull just laying there on the ground. His, after everything he's seen, after everything that he's been through just in the past 10 minutes, right? Five minutes, probably. 30 seconds. I mean, this was such a short encounter. Despite everything that he'd seen previous to this, he thought when he was looking at the brain and the busted skull and the blood, he thought, oh my God, I just killed a kid. I just killed a human child who was pulling a prank. A kid was wearing a costume and I bashed his head open. Oh my God. I just killed somebody. And this is a super interesting reaction. He actually goes into shock. That's not the interesting part. I imagine that would happen. He goes into shock. He sits on the ground. He's feeling completely nauseous. And despite everything that he's seen previous to this, right? I'm not talking about his life experiences. Again, I'm talking about just the past minute or two. This thing moving completely fast, ripping his dog's head in half, turning the dog into ash, with some sort of internalized miniature black hole, he goes, I think I just killed a kid. Now, kids these days are into some crazy things, but black holes are not one of them. 
he honestly sits there for a while and he thinks, oh my God, my career is over. Like, I'm going to go to prison. I murdered someone. How am I going to explain this to people? That's so interesting because obviously, like, at this point is when we get the description of the creature. When he bashes its head in, that's when he says it had this suit on and it would have these bulging eyes. The bulging eyes are probably because you just bashed its brains and the eyes are popping out. But this is when he gets a close-up view of this alien and I'm wondering if that is some sort of self-defense technique for aliens. We've covered stories before where people have had their guns drawn on aliens and guns drawn on cryptids, and they can't pull the trigger. Not because they have a change of heart. These are experienced hunters that are out in the middle of the woods that have a bizarre encounter, and they literally cannot pull the trigger. They want to, but they physically cannot. We covered a story recently about two hunters who went out to go kill wild boars who encountered a wolfman, a werewolf, and they didn't remember dropping their guns, but they did. Like, they were ready to shoot other animals and kill them. That's why they went out there. And when they got back home, one of their wives was like, where are your guns? And they didn't realize that they had left them there. Is this some sort of self-defense mechanism? Because obviously, kids can't run so fast they're a blur. Although some parents may argue with me on that. Kids can't run so fast that they're a blur. They definitely can't rip the skulls off of dogs. And then the dog body just shrinks into nothingness. But he's sitting there for a good while. And he's thinking, oh my god, I just killed a kid. I just killed a kid. Eventually, though... He starts to realize that what has happened here is truly a bizarre event. And that is a creature of some sort. Alien, possibly some sort of cryptid, government laboratory, who knows. But that is not a human. He starts to kind of come to his senses. That's when he begins taking photographs. He was up in the middle of the woods. It was a beautiful day. He figured, I'll bring my camera with me brought out with the rest of his gear, he begins to take photos of it. There are photos of this alien. He takes photos of this thing. And at that point, he begins to hear this strange humming coming through the forest. He encounters, like, as if this story cannot get any weirder. I found out about this story from ThinkAboutItDocs.com. They got it from a book called Unsolved UFO Mysteries, which I bought a copy of just so I could get more details on this story. I found this fascinating. And the book got it from Dr. Reed had called into Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and actually had told this story on the radio. He, he had multiple call-ins about this story. We'll get to a, more of that in a second. But he sees or hears something in the woods nearby. He goes out there and sees a what he describes as a black obelisk floating about three feet off the ground. He described it as being 10 feet tall, 4 feet wide, letting off this strange humming sound. He's taking photographs of that. He walked up to it. He touched it. I guess, I guess probably he still is in shock. At this point, it's been about an hour or two since the encounter. Like He was sitting there for that long trying to convince himself that he didn't actually kill another human. He goes up. He touches this obelisk. And the humming stopped. And then he said the humming returned again, but this time it sounded friendlier. And then he slipped and said that he slapped the obelisk 
and his hand began to burn. So he's like, okay, I'm done with the obelisk stuff. I don't know what this is. It's getting late. Again, it was 3 when all of this started, around 3 p.m. He's been sitting out here for a couple hours. He's still an hour and a half from his car. And he's like, I gotta get back to the car. I gotta get back to the car. I don't know what else is out here. There's an alien killing my dog. There's this. There's this giant floating hand-burning thing. I, don't, I definitely don't want it to be dark around this. So he's like, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna time to hike back to my car. And again, in just a kind of a weird, I don't know, you could, he could just be a human or he could just still be in shock. He gets back to the site of the alien showdown and he goes, oh, I better bury this guy. I should bury this alien, right? I can't leave it out here. I can't turn it into a pile of ash. He realizes he doesn't have a shovel, but he does have a thermo blanket. One of those foil blankets, and he goes, You know what's even better than burying an alien? Bringing it home. So he threw that little four foot alien on top of the thermo blanket and then carried it like a hobo, like just bundled it up. And he said it was incredibly light, not the blanket. This isn't an advertisement for the thermo blanket. He said the body of this alien only weighed around 50 pounds. Now, 50 pounds, so he has an hour and a half hike back to his car, and it's getting darker rapidly, but he does wrap this alien up in the blanket, throw it over his shoulder, and carries it through the woods, back to his car, opens up his trunk, and tosses the alien inside. And as he's driving back to his home in Seattle, he begins to think, you know what the best outcome would be? When I pull up to my home, I open the trunk and there's nothing in there. This was all just some sort of horrible dream. But little did he know the nightmare was just beginning. I don't do many two-part episodes on Dead Rap Radio, but this story gets even weirder, and I wanted to save the rest, though. There's a whole other part of this story. Now we've changed locations like a good horror movie. Started off in the woods. Now it's in the suburbs. We're going to see what happens at Dr. Reed's house. We're also going to take a look at... There's some people who say the story's completely made up. There's a UFO watchdog group that has taken particular, it's very interesting, out of all of the, the story may be made up, right? The, I will say this. I wasn't able to find the photographs yet of this alien's body. I did find a YouTube video. <laughs> I mean, listen, dude, I've typed up all my notes for this. All my notes for this story. And I was like, oh, dude, he ripped the, the dog apart. This is crazy. I know my listeners are going to love this. And then, like, after I'd got everything prepped, I go, oh, there's a YouTube video of the alien? What? And then I looked it up, and I was like, uh. <laughs> I was like, uh. Oh, okay. So there is a whole other side to the story. There's actually two more sides of the story, but we'll have it wrapped up in the next episode. We'll talk about what happened when he brought the alien home, and then we'll talk about there are people who say this whole thing was fate. Everything was fate. And what's interesting, though... 
is there's only one group that's saying that. This isn't a super disputed case. A lot of people go, no, yeah, the YouTube video's kind of goofy. YouTube video's kind of goofy. But there's a lot of people who say this story's 100% authentic, and then there's one UFO watchdog group that completely says that not only is this story fake, it's actually a scam, and it involves identity theft or changing identities, all sorts of crazy stuff. So we're going to take a look at that on the next episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'll put the YouTube video I'll put the YouTube video in the show notes. You're like, oh man, that story was so good. The story is good. It might be true. It might just be a bad video. Who knows? Maybe the FBI made the video like that on purpose. Disinformation. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend.